0: Hello, this is Pat Robertson. I want to welcome you to this very special CBN presentation entitled Answered Prayer, How to Pray Effectively and See God Work in Your Life. Now, prayer is a communication with God. He speaks to us and gives us help and direction. And we talk with him and we give him praise and adoration and thanksgiving. It's a powerful exchange between God and man. Every great work of God is preceded by prayer, and today we're going to answer many of your questions about how to have effective prayer. And we have some incredible stories of people who have seen their prayers answered, and we share some of the lessons that I've learned along the way about prayer. But first, I'd like to introduce my dear friend and co-host,
1: Scott Ross. Scott? Yes, sir. Good to be here with you. Talking about Miracles, you call me Lazarus. You rose from the dead. You had <laughs> cancer that should have killed you. Yeah, I know. And, and and the fact that I'm sitting here and I'm riding a motorcycle and all that kind You're of thing. You're not doing anything as foolish as that. Well, not as fo- not as foolish as riding a horse. Well, what? Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. It depends on
0: the horse. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, folks, we have a terrific audience with us today, and I want to thank all of you folks for being here. God bless you. Give yourselves a hand. We we'll welcome you. We're going to have a good time together. We're,
1: we're talking about miracles, and this this isn't theory. It's fact. You've seen many answers to prayer, miraculous answers to prayer. Some are inexplicable, and we're going to be talking about that. It's been a hallmark of your life the ministry of cbn Mm -hmm. throughout the years and people often ask the question do i have to be a christian in order to pray and wasn't there a time in your own life when you thought about entering the ministry before you really knew the lord i don't know how you do that well i I felt
0: i had a call to serve god i was uh you know living uh in uh, new york i was in business and trying to make a a few bucks on Wall Street and so forth. And um, I wasn't very successful at it, I might add. But um, I went to see my mother to tell her the great news that I had decided I was going to go into the ministry. And my dear mother said, you know, you didn't sound right. Because I wasn't talking about Jesus. I, I was going to enter his service, but I hadn't met Jesus. And my mother, who knew Jesus, knew that I hadn't had that experience and she was kind enough to tell me you know like don't do it well how did
1: how did you come to jesus meet jesus
0: i was in new york i was looking for answers and she put me in touch with this faith missionary his name was cornelius vanderbrook and i arranged to have dinner with him in philadelphia and we were at this very exclusive hotel where the waiters wore white tie and tails and you know, that kind of stuff. We started talking, and he brings out this enormous Bible and lays it on the table. And I said, oh, my goodness, they're going to throw us out of this place. They think we're, <laughs> we're crazy. And one of the waiters came over to us, and I said, here it goes. You know, we're, we're on the street. And the waiter said, I saw you men talking. Could you tell us what you were talking about? And uh, my friend told this waiter about Jesus. It was amazing. He witnessed to him right there. Well, later he said, well, tell me what your story is. And I began to tell him. And then he said at the end, said, Pat, any uh, Mohammedan could have told me the same thing you did. Isn't there something more? And that was the moment that I said, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world and for my sins, too. And it was like a voice in my mind that said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And I knew at that moment that was it. I had confessed Jesus. Uh, and my life was transformed at that, at that moment. And he was pulling a confession out of me. He didn't go through the plan of salvation or that stuff. He just said, there's got to be something more. You're, you're talking like a Muslim. Did you tell your mother? Uh, yeah, I told my mother. It made a difference. She she, <laughs> she
1: she knew and she prayed for me. She was a prayer warrior. Marvelous. And she prayed prayed for you all those years when you were wandering in oh, the w- yeah. wilderness. I tell you, when I was in college, I'd come
0: home, you know, three, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, breathing alcohol, and my dear mother would be there. She put up with more junk for me. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> she really did. Good for Mom. Yeah. That was the beginning of Pat Robertson's amazing journey. And then you begin to seek God's direction for your life. And one of the main reasons that people pray is their need for guidance. I think there's a proverb that says the mind of man has his plans, but God directs his steps. That's right. And so your steps were ordered. And now we're going to look at a story about two young brothers who faced a life and death situation. Their lives had changed in an instant. They needed God's direction and they needed
2: it now. All of a sudden, everything starts to let go. The ledge and everything. By this time, I you know, lost my sight of Matt. And the cloud of snow was so big, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, thinking he's dead and there's no way I'm ever going to find him.
3: Michael Walsh and his younger brother, Matt, thought they had found the perfect spot for backcountry snowboarding in Wyoming. The mountain bowl had an overhanging snowdrift and deep powder. They parked Michael's truck
2: and climbed to the steepest point, never thinking about avalanche danger. It's kind of just a cliff, basically, a snow cliff that builds up with all the wind. And as it blows, it just kind of curls and curls and curls and just builds up a big ledge. Well, we were sitting right on the edge of it. The original plan was we were both going to go down at the same time. I don't know why I changed the plan. He was already strapped in, and I had one binding strapped in but this time. And I uh, looked over at him, and I was like, hey, Matt, what are you waiting for?
3: His brother, Matt, jumped off the ledge and hit the slope below. Triggering a massive
2: avalanche. All I hear is pop, pop, pop. The whole bowl. Let's go. And it sounds like a freight train running right over me.
3: Matt slid hundreds of feet down the mountain, caught in the avalanche. The wall of snow behind him hit hard, burying him under three feet of heavy packed snow. Michael looked
2: on helplessly. As soon as the snow cleared, you see no sign of him. Nothing. It was just rocks and sagebrush dirt ripped up out of the ground on top of the snow to see him disappear like that and I couldn't stop it that was very hard Michael had a decision to make run to his truck to call search and rescue or try and find his brother on his own if I went and looked first there was no way I was getting back up that hill by myself to call search and rescue again and uh, so I just cried out to God said God what do I do and I heard him just as loud as you're talking to me, you know, go find your brother. I'd never heard God speak to me like that before, and that was, it rocked me. He ran down the hill frantically calling his brother's name. As soon as I get onto the slide area where it all settled, it's just destruction. And no sign. I'm looking for a hat, a tip of his board, a hand, something sticking out of the stone. Nothing. And then I start to second guess myself you know, was that really God telling me to go find my brother? I just, I realized there's no way I was going to find him. and There's nothing, no sign of him. And then I finally came to a point and I just kind of like gave up. Man, I know sound terrible to give up, but I mean, there's nothing to see. I couldn't see him. I couldn't see any sign of him. Matt lay buried deep in the heavy snow, unable to
4: move, running out of air and hope. Right when I realized that I was buried, um, and there was, no, there was no way I was moving my body. I, I was certain I was going to die. I, at that point I had given up on, on trying to get out. I knew I was going to die. But as he lay there praying, he says he felt God's presence with him. And the peace I felt in that moment was, was amazing. Um, it, was, it was, I, I would say it, it was him with me in the moment. Um, so I, I was ready. I, I knew where I was going. I wasn't scared. He heard God speak
3: to him and remind him of a prophecy given to Matt's mother when she nearly miscarried him as a baby, that the baby would not die but live, and God would do great things through his
4: life. When he spoke to me, I had hope. It was like, okay, this isn't it. You know, He's going to rescue me from this. He's going to save me. Um, it's not going to stop here. You know, he's, he's still got a plan for my life and a purpose for my life.
3: Matt says hope propelled him to action. He had an air pocket near his face, and he was able to dig one arm towards the surface. Meanwhile, Michael stood directly above him, unaware
2: of his location. Pretty much about to fall to my knees and just lose all hope in it. So I just yeah one more time.
3: Max,
2: like the wind's blowing 60 miles an hour. So when you're wearing a hood and a hat, you can't hear very well. Everything goes dead silent. I just hear, Mike, I'm fine. There's no way I should have hurt him in that. with how hard the wind was blowing. Well, I turn and I take a step back. I look under my left foot right before I sat down I see a hole about the size of a baseball in the snow. And I'm start digging frantically. Well, I dug about two feet and that is, I'm like, I was crazy, you know. That wasn't really him. And I just kept digging, kept digging and dug another foot. And I could see the Oakley symbol on his jacket that I had just bought him like a week before that. And. I dug to his face and I could see his face that he was still alive and okay. I started crying like a baby. I was just, I mean, I was so happy but so scared all at the same time. He spent the next half hour
3: digging Matt out of what could have been a snowy grave. They say it was only by God's grace
2: that they made it out alive. He led me right to the spot where Matt was. I mean, I didn't know where he was. I had no idea which direction he was. Which the way it swept him, you know, and to leave me dead center on top of him—that's not coincidence. Everything was just fell into place, just perfect. God met me there and was standing there and held my hand all the way down that, and kept me safe and him safe.
4: I think I survived because God has a bigger plan for my life. You know, He yeah, He has big things in, in store for me, um, and I don't think that He was going to let that be foiled by an avalanche. I think that He he wasn't it wasn't his will i'm definitely very thankful you know, that god would that god would rescue me from this that he would work it out in a way that that we both come out okay
2: definitely the scariest thing i've ever had happen to me in my life i mean watching my best friend and thinking he's dead there's no way i'm ever going to find him and then you know having the lord just meet me there on that hill and be there with me the whole time he was there and he hears your prayers and in your time of need.
1: Matt Walsh was seeking a literal direction from God. It was a, a press situation, to say the least. And his brother was going to die. And many people seek direction, all kinds of issues in their lives, maybe not as dramatic as that. But you had many dramatic events transpire in your mm-hmm. life. They still do. Yeah. In your book, and shout it from the housetops, you tell a story about getting away with God and a, a, a class in the Avenue Presbyterian Church. Where was that? That was in Bedford-Stuyvesant
0: in, in Brooklyn. You know, it was one of the toughest slums in America in, in the time when I was there. And I was trying to find out what to do next. I uh, took several cans of fruit juice and a sleeping bag and went to this old church. And uh, I set myself to pray and ask the Lord's direction. He uh, made it clear that what I should do next. And gave me a scripture, actually, uh, that was so clear, you know, go tell the things, the good things the Lord has done for you. At this time, he also gave me one of the sweetest verses in the whole Bible, I believe it was Jeremiah chapter 2, which says, you shall not take a wife or have children in this place. And I was so glad to get out of there, I didn't know what to do. I thought he wanted me to spend my life there. And... uh, I told my wife, I said, look, we're leaving this place, you know, pack up and leave. And uh, we drove to my home in Virginia, and that's where the Lord contacted me about a television station. But... um, uh, he, he said, it was time to leave. And I said, yes, sir, I'm glad.
1: It's interesting because New York was a major turning point for my life, too. Yeah. So God speaks to people in New York maybe in different ways than he does in the rest of the world. <laughs> well, Scott, when, you know, here, if
0: I had prayed in Virginia, yes. as hard as I prayed in New York, the heavens would have opened and huge <laughs> you know, blessings would have flowed. It's a tough
1: city yeah it is and you mentioned too fasting is that an integral part of praying is it necessary to fast to get answered well what? It, it, you know the bible says i afflicted my soul
0: with fasting uh i don't think it gives you uh, uh, some special uh favor with god because you're starving yourself that doesn't make any sense but what it does it heightens your your sensibilities you know it makes you stronger you know Jesus fasted for all that time when he encountered the devil. And you think, well, that made him weak. It didn't. It made him stronger. You know, you're closer to God. You have put to death the um, the flesh, so to speak, the, the demands of the body, and you are on a spiritual level which heightens the spiritual activity in your in your own life.
1: And you're focused in a different
0: focused way. On, yeah. on on the things of God. Absolutely.
1: There's another there's a there's a phrase we we hear kicked around a lot. People use. And they're looking for direction, and they said they're going to put a fleece out before the Lord. <laughs> now, I mean, I, that, that's Christianese language. But it was Gideon that did that initially. Gideon
0: had a fleece, that's right. You know, yeah, I'm going to put this fleece out. If it comes back dry, I'll know something. And the Lord said, okay, I'll try. And Gideon said, well, I want to make sure. Let's do it again. So he, he reversed the proceeding, and the, the fleece um, wasn't wet or was wet. That was the answer from God. But he did that for me. I was, you know, we were offered by George Otis a television station in the Middle East, right on the border of Lebanon, right in the middle of the war zone, and I knew that if I screwed up on that one, that the uh, bad guys would overrun this thing, take the thing away from me, and it'd be a humiliating defeat. So I wanted to do a lot of praying. And I said, Lord, if you want me to get into this thing and take this station, I want you to show me something with gold, something with gold, anything with gold. Just show me gold, okay? Gold. 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 (laughs) So I was told my secretary, I said, now, look, if something comes in of gold, uh, you let me know about it. (laughs) I'm looking for something with gold. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are we all? Okay. So I'm I'm sitting and day after day no gold. After about three days, arranged my wife to, we were going to have dinner after our work that day at the small restaurant in town, and she stopped by our private mailbox and picked up the mail just for us. It wasn't CBN or anything. It was private, and here was a letter, and she gave me this letter. And I opened the letter, and it was from a guy named Frank Folio, who was a full gospel businessman, and he said, The Lord has impressed me. I tried to send this to you and wasn't able to do it. Now I got the right address and I'm sending this again. And here comes this letter. And I've been praying for a sign. And he in there was a picture of three gold coins. Mm. And the gold coins were struck by Pablo Picasso. Privately authenticated by his daughter, wow! And they were pure twenty-four carat gold, three coins, and uh, folio was indicated he was going to make one available to us, as I recall. Wow! Now, a, I mean, that's a
1: literal answer prepared. That I mean, was it, a
0: real it, gold. It wasn't just some crummy little Kruger, and I mean, this is a, <laughs> you know, this was the big time. Pablo Picasso, authenticated by his daughter. And as a result of that, you established a work in uh, in the Middle East. Yeah, we we, bought, we went, went ahead and took the station and got it on the air and had some interesting things happen to us.
1: Yeah, there's an interesting sidebar to this. Uh-huh. I know a little bit about the story. But I love this quote. Uh, you were going to start working in Israel, mm-hmm. in Jerusalem specifically, mm-hmm. and God said something to you about the direction of what you could oh. or couldn't do when you got there. I, I was on a flight south of Turkey,
0: and I could see the Turkish coast as we were going down the Mediterranean. It a moonlit night, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're now going into Israel, the land of the Bible. And he said, You made mistakes in New York, where you were, and you know how many mistakes I made there. Me too. He said, You made mistakes in Virginia. I knew about that. He said, You made mistakes in South America. I said, yeah. He said, You don't make any mistakes here because this would affect prophecy. Wow. And it was a place of blessing, but look out, you're dealing with Israel now, and you're not going to. And if you do something wrong here, you, you could affect the course of prophecy, and you
1: can't do that. Wow that's so amazing it's a little scary a little frightening but that kind of a voice you hear uh and one of the things that people talk about a lot is they pray for wisdom Mm -hmm. i think there's a proverb that says that wisdom stands at the head of every street and calls out that's right uh that jesus has all the treasures of wisdom wisdom er, are in him so i mean how do i acquire that what have you what have you learned about wisdom Uh, We had at CBN, uh, we built this beautiful building that
0: um, I'm now in part of, and uh, we had a a prayer room there. And I said to our partners, I said, now, we're going to put your name uh, in this uh, prayer room. We will put it under the cross that's there, and we'll have a microfiche of all these names. And I said, you give us your lifetime prayer requests, and we will put that in the prayer room. Of course, you know, lifetime prayer requests, and what did people say? Well, I've got a toothache, you know. Mm-hmm. I've got a headache. I mean, come on, this is lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I put mine in, and I prayed for wisdom, and I prayed for favor, and I prayed for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I asked, they were my three lifetime, and they still are. Yeah. But I asked for wisdom. And it is amazing how God will open up wisdom to you. And you just, it's almost like, you know, second nature. You you know what is the right course to follow in certain situations because God's giving you wisdom. And that, that was Solomon's prayer, too, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he said, That's right. He said, I'm just a little boy. I can't, I don't know how to go in and come out. And uh, you've given me this responsibility over this great nation. Mm-hmm. And I asked for wisdom. And God was so pleased that he had asked for that. He said, I'm going to give you everything else you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you all this money. I'm going to make you one of the the big shots of the earth. But I'm going to give you
1: what you asked for, which is wisdom. Just looking over the culture, society, politicians, yeah. uh, they should pray for wisdom. God is the source
0: of wisdom. He, he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. Yeah. He knows everything. And if we just listen to him, he has a plan, and he has a plan, Scott, for every one of us. He has a plan for you, a plan for me, a plan for the people in this audience, Uh everybody. And if we just will listen to him, he will say, this is the way walking in and I'm going to show you my pattern for you. I've got it all planned out before the
1: foundation of the earth. Here's what you should do. Ooh. And if we follow that, hey, good things happen. Yes, you mentioned favor. How do I aqua- acquire favor from God? You know, Do I d- work it up, grunt it up, fast, pray? Well, what do I do? Well, you ask for that, too. But the Bible says he that finds wisdom finds favor from the
0: Lord. Mm. It also says he that gets a wife does a good thing, and he gets favor from a good wife. <laughs> Give me one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Um, after 63 years, I can say that it's a good thing. But God said if you find wisdom... Uh, he'll give you favor, but favor is as if God has put His seal on you, and said, "Bless this person." And out of that favor, amazing things happen. It's just a supernatural anointing He places on somebody, and it just the doors open and good things happen. And you ask for it. You I
1: mean, you can ask for favor, and He'll He'll do it. Okay, I hear you. I'm I'm going to list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Also, the scripture says, "Without faith, you've yeah. talked about that faith. It's impossible to please God." That's now, it. how how do I acquire faith, or do I, I conjure this thing up? How do I how do I do that? It's the
0: uh, uh, laying hold of an unseen reality. It is the it is the conscious presence of an unseen reality, and uh, He gives us. Uh, Faith comes about by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we read the Word, faith will rise in our heart, and we begin to see God. But it starts with, with Jesus. You want miracles. You have faith in God. You believe that God is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So you don't play with the idea. You recognize God is there. He is great. He is powerful. He is He's the author of everything, and you, that's where your faith comes is when you recognize that he is the, the source of everything, and you can come to him, and And without faith, it's impossible to please God, but with faith,
1: all things become possible. And what's the Bible verse that says that faith is a substance of things, things hoped the, the evidence, evidence of, of things. things. It's not ethereal. There's substance it's, and
0: there's evidence. It's an absolute evidence of it. But you have to act on it. Evidence is something you act on. And when you have that faith, you can act on it. And, man, good things happen.
1: Okay, and talking about acting on, th- on faith, you headed off to Virginia Beach. Yeah. And faith, from New York, out of bed, Stuy- Stuyvesant. And you said to your wife, Dee Dee, if we can't trust God to meet our personal needs, yeah. how are we going to trust him for a television station? Now we're about to meet a man who needed to trust God for his financial need in a big, big way. He was on the verge of financial ruin. He prayed, then he acted on faith.
3: John Richards has been a hairstylist for more than 30 years. In the late 90s, he owned a successful salon, but he made an honest yet costly mistake. The IRS reclassified all of his stylists as employees and then demanded back taxes on their wages. When the stylists could no longer be independent
5: contractors, they all left they walked out of me I had this huge rent it was $2,200 a month and they left me, I was like left
3: alone John lost his business that's when he started using credit cards to pay his bills and household expenses by 2002 John and his wife Lynette were $52,000 in debt
6: at that point it was the lowest we had been and, and I always knew God always takes care of us So I. I I always had that assurance, but it was tough.
3: John and Lynette had been CBN partners since 1983. Even though money was tight, they kept giving to the 700 Club.
5: That was one thing Lynette really wanted to make sure we kept doing. Keep tithing, we have to honor God. We have to honor God no matter what. And in 2002, I started asking God for a financial miracle. And so every day, every morning, I prayed, God, I need a miracle, God, I need a miracle.
3: One afternoon while watching the 700 Club, John and Lynette joined Pat and Gordon as they prayed. And
5: Pat got done praying and nothing happened. And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and I looked down and went, okay, Lord, I'm... And then something really interesting happened. There's four seconds left of the program, and Gordon said, excuse me, Dad.
0: There's someone named John and you're praying for a financial miracle. God's heard your prayer. He's going to
5: give you that. What? And I, I, I looked at my wife and said, what did he just say because the show was over?
6: And I was a little hesitant, but he, God proves himself time and time again.
3: Several months later, their financial miracle began to unfold. John went by his old
5: salon and noticed that it was still empty. He immediately called his former landlord. So he came back with this number of uh, of less than a third what I was paying for before. I said, Cliff, just check that out. That seemed to be too good to be true. So he called me the next day and goes, well, it's, it's not right. It's $600 a month. I said, I'll take it. So that was the beginning of my financial miracle. The first two years, I doubled what I took in the year before. And in 2005, we paid off all of our debt. And in 2006, my business really started taking off. One year, I believe it was 2007, I took on just shy of $400,000 in my business. Then in 2008, the stock market took a dive.
3: Most of John's clients paid top dollar for hair extensions. But when the economy tanked, many of them disappeared. And he was facing the possibility of losing his salon
5: again. We need another moment, we need another miracle. So we prayed, and that's what we decided to jump to a Founders Club. It's like, Lord, your word says to give, and the measure that you give is the measure you'll be receiving. So we did that. The next day, we jumped to a Founders Club. My business started doing better, but something really amazing happened in 2012. It was February <clears throat> that this girl showed up. Her name is Becky. And she wanted extensions, but nobody could do her hair. I'm one of two people that can do hair extensions after chemo on one inch of hair. And this is so God that God would do something like this. Only God could do it. I never saw this coming. A local news station covered Becky's transformation. It was posted on YouTube and Facebook. And that thing went viral. I have people coming in from Peru, Belgium, Australia, Philippines. John is already booking appointments
3: for next year. And he and Lynette continue to support the ministries of CBN.
6: It's not that God needs our money. It's because we're obedient to his word. And out of sacrifice, God uses that. And so we are to help others. And we are to give selflessly. And it's a joy to give.
5: You want to go on a ride of a lifetime? Give. I can't explain it. I don't know how he does it. But it's God's it's God's rule. Given it shall be given to you.
1: Talking about uh, money and the need for finances, is it okay to, to go to God and say, I need money to pay my rent or to buy groceries or whatever it is? Is it okay uh, to ask God for money? Well, it's okay to do it. I don't spend a lot of
0: time doing it for me because I want to make sure that I'm giving. And if we give, God will take care of the other. I'll give you an example. I was... <laughs> at Oral Roberts University years ago, and I was put on a committee, and they were asking, they wanted to build tennis courts. You know, I hear I'm living on nothing, and I, they're asking, so I placed a thousand bucks. I didn't have any money. I pledged a thousand Well, lo and behold, uh, a few days after that, I got an unexpected source, another thousand then I got another, and then I got another. So I got 3000 for my pledge of 1000 Okay. So I, I was driving along, and I hadn't asked anything, and I was literally driving along, and God spoke to me, and he said, why don't you ask me for something? And I said, well, I don't think I need anything. He said, well, ask me. I said, okay, I'd like $1,000. <laughs> so I'm driving, and so... Um, <laughs> Within a day or two that the bill came in from an orthodontist, one of my children needed braces a thousand bucks, and it was already taken care of by the Lord, so he sent a thousand extra thousand for me and um, It was just amazing where he said, "Would you ask so the first time I, I I was really asking because I don't need to ask." I, I need to, you know, check out my finances and make sure I've given enough. And if I've given enough, I don't have to worry about him giving me money because, you know, given it'll be given unto you, pressed down, running over, will God you into your bosom. So, um, but you can't ask. I, I have asked very hard. I, I was doing one deal. I, I was desperate. On, oh, I mean, I really was desperate, and I was up in the mountains. Virginia and I was walking along and I said, God, I, I've got to have something. I've got to have this. I've got to have it. And, and okay, and He gave me what I needed, and it was a rather substantial deal. I mean, it wasn't just a little piddly thing. It was a big one, and um, the Lord supplied. So yes, you can ask, and you can ask largely, because you know the story uh, about the Texan and the beggar in St. Patrick's Cathedral. No. <laughs> well, the Texan was praying, and this guy was up there just crying out to God. And the Texan walked up to him, and he said, what are you praying for? And the man said, he said, I'm praying for $200. He said, I'm just desperately poor, I've got to have $200. And the Texan reached into his pocket, took out $200 bills, and he said, here, don't bother the Lord. He's working on a big deal for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so- <laughs> Uh, he's he concerns himself with the little things and the big things. Wow. You mentioned uh, giving money when you didn't have it, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've heard you talk about tithing. How important is that to receiving? Well, th- this is I call anticipatory tithing, and people really like that. The
0: idea that you anticipate the kind of money you're looking for, and you give up to that level. So if you want a uh, million dollars, you'd give 100000 if you want 100,000, you'd give 10,000. Uh, if you want 10, you'd give one. The idea is, but what is a tithe? The tithe is a tenth. But that is minimal for a Christian, absolute minimal. Um, you know, you give as unto the Lord, and you give gifts, and you give offerings. But in the Old Testament, there were three tithes, you know, at least. Uh, you know, so 10% is, is just the barest minimal. But I, I'm, I'm amazed at Jacob. You remember Jacob who talked to the Lord? He woke up and he said, okay, God, uh, you take care of me. You bring me back safely and you prosper me. And when when I get through, I'll give you 10% of it back. And you think, oh, well, aren't you generous? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's what we think about. God will prosper us beyond measure. But the tenth is A minimal, Scott, in my opinion.
1: I don't want to get too technical, but your tithes
0: and your gross or on your net? I was in a meeting with James Baker when he was Secretary of the Treasury, and he was talking to several of us church people. And he said, "Uh, what do you think about the the money? He said, should it be on the gross or the net? And uh, I said, well, I think it ought to be on the gross. And he said, well, President Reagan feels the same way. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> but uh, look, you give us unto the Lord, and uh, whatever is, is in your heart, that's what you do. It's not. We don't live in a, in a whole bunch of rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. If we're going to serve God, it's in our spirit. And some people could give, I mean, the, the government allows you to give 50% of your money and, and, and deduct it. So... You know, why not take advantage of some of these things? I mean, it it depends on, you know, your station in life, what your needs are, what the demands of your life are. Uh, And the Lord, the Bible says, loves a cheerful giver. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: You mentioned a few moments ago about really getting hold of God. I need this now. Uh, That's your time. Then God has his time. Why does he... Does it seem like sometimes he doesn't answer when you ask it it's 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 prolonged it was like, where are you lord what's happening here well, god's not going to bless
0: disobedience if i'm in a state of disobedience where i'm i'm beating up my fellow man and not keeping god's laws then and i'm asking for stuff he's not going to give me an answer because it'll it will confirm me in my disobedience so he's not going to do that but when we our hearts are right with him He's waiting for a time which would be appropriate. Sometimes it would hurt somebody if you're praying for a lot of money and you get money. You know, these people who win the lottery, their lives are in shambles. They have all kinds of problems they didn't dream were possible. So instead of it being a blessing, this is a curse. And God will withhold things that would be a curse. He knows what we need. And But he's not going to get there ahead of time. Everything in his time and in
1: his order. So that's why I haven't won the lottery? <laughs> God loves you too much to let you win the lottery. Scott. <laughs> I, okay. I, I married a woman who was uh, famous with a group yes. called the Ronettes. And I of, often say I married her for fame and fortune. Yeah. I got the fame. No, no fortune. fortune. Well, you, you got half of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes God uses a crisis of faith in our lives. He did for Zach Short. Zach was, get this, electrocuted as 12,000 volts burned through his body. His wife was told to say goodbye. Instead, she prayed.
3: The soybean harvest was going as expected for Zach Short and his crew, until a call came over the radio that a combine had started smoking. When Zach arrived, he went to climb on the combine to investigate, it, but no one realized it had come in contact with a low-hanging power line. 12,000 volts of electricity shot through Zach's body. With Zach's hand still gripping the ladder, the crew used a plastic shovel to pry him free and called 911. EMS Shane Pearson responded to the call. The biggest thing I noticed right off the bat was his feet. His work boots had just kind of been blown open. He was in a very critical condition at that point. Zach was transported to the nearest hospital. At the time, his wife Jody was at home with their one-year-old daughter, Brindley.
6: I got a phone call that Zach had been in an accident and my first question was, is he alive? Because I had no idea how bad the accident was. and. It was his mom on the phone and she said she didn't know.
3: Jody rushed to the hospital with Zach's parents.
5: When you get to the hospital and you can just smell burnt flesh everywhere, it's pretty bad. knew how bad it was.
6: They told us that he was going to be flown to a different hospital. And that's when it really hit, hit us that this is, this is not good.
3: Zach was life flighted to Vi Christie Hospital in Wichita, Kansas and admitted into their burn center. Dr. Robert Bingaman was the attending physician.
0: He had some of the deepest uh, electrical injuries I had ever seen. Both of his lower extremities were uh, severely burned. Uh, Actually, uh, areas on his feet and ankles were charred. The chances of living were no better than 50-50.
3: Doctors put Zach into a medically induced coma and worked around the clock to treat his burns. They were able to stabilize him but he was in critical condition. Jody prayed and spread the word over social media.
6: Farmers that live around here would stop their farm equipment every day at um, 10 and 4 and pray for Zach.
3: Three days later, he went into cardiac arrest.
6: The nurses um, pulled me in the room and the doctor, while he was coding, and they were Performing chest compressions on him, and we were just behind him rallying, saying, "Come on, Zach! Come on, Zach! Come back to us, Zach!" And and he and finally the nurse had said, "We've got, we've got a pulse."
3: But as quickly as Zach's heart recovered, his kidneys began shutting down, and his lungs started filling with fluid.
6: The doctor told us, "He's not going to make it." He basically told us to tell him goodbye. So I took our daughter in and told her that he was going, going to heaven.
3: Friends and family gathered at the hospital and waited for him to pass. They soon realized God was still at work.
7: Blood pressure
0: started to come up and oxygen saturation levels started to come up. And then uh, he began to stabilize.
6: The doctor said, I I think he's going to make a liar out of me. (laughs) I don't, I don't, he's getting better. God was, was, he was in the room with us. (laughs) He was there and he was answering people's prayers.
0: There's no doubt in my mind that God touched Zach that night and, and turned things around and gave
3: him a chance. Over the next couple of weeks, Zach continued to improve.
6: His kidneys started working and his lungs started to empty and... The doctor was just like, I've never seen anything like this before.
3: Unfortunately, doctors had to amputate Zach's lower legs because of infection. It would save his life, but now they had another concern, whether Zach had suffered brain damage. The only way to find out was to bring him out of the coma.
7: When I woke up in the hospital, it was like I had a whole bunch of dreams. I kind of knew what happened, but not really at the same time. my wife was the first one to come in there.
6: My first question was, do you remember me? And he, of course, he said, I'm not going to forget you and Brinley.
7: <laughs> and then she said, well, you, you remember you, you got shocked in the field. And that's what like, right there, it clicked in my head. I remember exactly what happened.
3: The next three months would be hard as Zach struggled through extensive physical therapy and multiple surgeries.
7: I would definitely get angry and break down quite a bit. I just kept praying and, and thought, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that care about me. I have a lot to live for still. I just got to keep trying and, and God kind of show me the light.
3: Then on Valentine's Day, Zach was released to go
7: home. His town welcomed him in the streets. I couldn't believe it. I broke down when we drove through him because there was people out there with signs saying, we love you, Zach. He says, how am I going to thank
6: all these people? And I says, you know, from what I can see, they want to thank you because you brought them back to their faith.
3: Zach has become accustomed to his new legs and is thankful to get back to farming and being a husband and a father. In fact, he and Jody are expecting their second child, a boy.
6: If it wasn't for all the prayers, God wouldn't have heard that we needed a miracle. Many, many miracles. And we wouldn't have received the miracle that we got.
7: You looked at what the doctor's reports were and how bad my injuries were,
1: and there's nothing that explains my recovery, but, you know, God watching over me. It seems there are things that happen to us sometimes that are inexplicable. Have you ever been in a situation similar to that where you were really, really pressed, with your family... Uh, Your you major issues you we were helpless, and you cried out to God,
0: well, it was one time when I was just starting out, and uh, I was in seminary and my oldest son, who was just a little fellow, um, had this fever, he was burning with fever, and he he was beginning convulsions, and I thought, you know if he keeps that up he 's going to have brain damage and I began to cry out to God. I didn't know what to do. This child could be permanently brain damaged. His fever was so bad. Uh, he was His eyes were rolled back in his head, and he was unconscious. It was serious. So I was on my knees, and I was just crying out to God, God, please heal him. Please heal him. Please heal him. Please, please heal him. And the Lord suddenly gave me a little revelation of the difference between me and him. And he said, look, you think you love this boy? I love him a thousand times more than you do. Mm. And you don't have to talk me into doing something good for him. I'll do something good for him. And at that moment, instead of holding on to my problem, I released that problem to the Lord. And I said, all right, God, I offer him up to you. And I consciously lifted him up uh, in prayer and uh, at that moment, the love of God just enfolded him, and he was, the power of God touched him, and the fever broke just like that. Wow. And uh, later on, you know, he got up and went to the bathroom. He was, the next morning, he was fine. Uh, but it, I, I, I released it to God and, and into his love, and I realized that, that, you know, we think we're so special, and our love is so imperfect. And he is so wonderful,
1: and he loves us so much. And mm-hmm. we can trust his love. Yeah. And it, it seems that ties back to what you said earlier, too, about finances. is yeah. not just finance. Give, and it's given unto you. You g- gave your son. That's right. And he gave life right back. Right back. Right back. Better than ever. When this guy, Zach, was dying, there was a community of farmers around, and they stopped in their field every mm-hmm. Day, mm-hmm. And, and they prayed t- together. I mean, there's a whole community of people, people all over the place. I, they did that for me. What is that principle that comes from group praying, people praying together, not just you on your own? The Bible makes it clear that if two of you agree on
0: earth as touching anything they will ask, it will be done for them by my Father, which is in heaven. So we are not little uh units all by ourselves we have a community and the community in the presence of the lord many people gathering together where you gather together in my name there i am in the midst of them mm-hmm. and the, the lord himself is in the midst of his people when they pray and they they pray together there's just something about union and harmony that
1: brings forth the, the power of god and you do that Continually on the 700 Club. Constantly. <laughs> Throughout the world. And, Scott, we see so many
0: miracles. I mean, we I'm talking about about 100 million prayer requests, and,
1: but everybody praying. We're all praying together. Uh, and they can do that now as, as they're watching this as well. Yeah. How important is it, uh, the words that come from our mouths, uh, confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. Can I hinder prayer by making negative statements?
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, the the Bible makes it clear, it said, a man shall eat good by the fruit of his lips. You, your confession is absolutely vital. You confess failure, you'll have failure. You confess sickness, you'll have sickness. I am so, I hurt. I, I hurt today. I've got this awful headache. I'm, I'm, I'm so sick. I don't think I can go to work. You've just confessed yourself. You have cursed yourself. And you say, well, I don't think I can do it. I'm so tired of people who say, I can't do it. I don't know. I'm not able to do something. Well, you are able. In the Lord, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And uh, we need to confess positive things. I can, I can do all things. So when we praise God, it isn't so much asking God. That's the, the secret that people need to recognize is if you want to have an answer to prayer, you declare it done in the name of Jesus. I speak to that disease. I speak to that infirmity. I speak to that poverty. I speak to the money. And I command it in the name of Jesus. I am more than conqueror through him that loved me. And that attitude will win. The other one is the loser. And the average person is... They're besieged by negativity. Think how much negativity we get on the news. It's just every time you turn around, there's somebody talking negative. Well, that's why we need to be positive. We need to be rejoicing. This is the day the Lord hath made and I rejoice and am glad in it.
1: OK, there's no there's some real impetus behind what you're saying right now. It's yes. like, uh, you know, God is speaking through you now that people are listening to this and viewing this. So if, the, if they have diseases or sicknesses or financial or whatever it is, challenges, you're saying speak to that and tell it go. No, that's right. Whatever is coming, you know,
0: you, you rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I got a story. Can I give you a story? We had a station in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, Nuevo Continente. Yes. Okay. And uh, uh, it was a wonderful station. It's an AM station. It was. It had a huge audience. Well, we had a, a manager of that station His name is Dario Quiroga, and Dario Dario was a nice little man who uh, loved God. He was a Christian. So he developed a an infection in his nose that went to his brain, and he had brain fever. So before long, became unconscious, this thing took over his brain. And so I flew down there, and the other guy who was with me is Sixto Lopez. And Sixto and I went into the uh, hospital room, and the nurse said, if you pray for him and he gets healed, he'll be a vegetable because his his brain is gone. And Dario's there on the bed. He's dying. And uh, so I said, okay. So Sixto and I got on either side of his bed, and we began to rebuke the death angel and to command him to be well. And as we were praying, <laughs> Dario, who was unconscious, surfaced. And as we said, amen, he said, Amen. <laughs> And he was the first bilingual vegetable I've ever encountered (laughs) because God had healed him. It was amazing. But we we rebuked
1: that disease and we stood on either side of it and we commanded it to leave. You have mentioned innumerable times when you said, God said, God spoke to me. I heard a voice saying, all right. And people do this all the time. It's in the news. Guys go out and they kill somebody and say God told them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you discern between what is just pepperoni pizza mm-hmm. and a bad night of sleep and the voice of God? God speaking to you. How do you discern that? Brother, it's, the Bible
0: says by reason of use, they are able to discern good from evil. Uh, there's no substitute for practice and uh, it's so easy to be misled. I've run into people who are just totally misled, and they, they didn't know what they were talking about, and they were just, you know, but God told me this, that, and the other, and he'd just say, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, they haven't heard from God, but it's practice. You have to practice, and by your fruit, you'll know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, did God really speak to this guy? Are you, I mean, what kind of track record does he have? When he says something, does that come to pass? Or is he uh, just off in a fantasy world? And the Bible says very clearly: if a prophet says to you something, you listen to him. And if it comes to pass, you know he didn't. He was sent by me. And if it doesn't come to pass, you know he's a false prophet. And there are many, many, many false prophets out there. With this, I I said God said God told me stuff. It's just. It's just utter nonsense, and but reason of use and track record and buy their fruit. That's
1: how you know. Do you check out uh, things you think you've heard over the years? You've gone to other spiritual leaders or other men you've trusted, women you've trusted, and said, do you agree with me on this or, or, or disagree yeah. or whatever? Well, you can do that. It depends
0: on who you are and what you are, but the answer is yes. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember talking to Dave Wilkerson, you know, and, some stuff that uh, he had confirmations of something that the Lord had showed me. I said, Dave, is God speaking to you this way? He said, Yeah. And so it was a confirmation. Um, but you have to be in the same level, and in a sense, of experience mm-hmm. before you go. You don't normally take your dreams and visions and your hopes and just expose them out to everybody. Because, you know, you what the Bible says about casting your pearls before mm-hmm. swine. You know, people will—they'll turn and rend you. If you got—you have to be so careful speaking the
1: the secrets of God out into the public. Mm. Good advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've mentioned this in some ways in in this this session. But what other things hinder our prayers? Number one, absolutely,
0: faith killer when you stand praying if you have ought against any forgive that your heavenly father will forgive you but on the other hand if you hate somebody and you hold grudge against him then you have not forgiven and you are not you know lord's prayer forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us that's a key part of christianity and people don't realize that. They think they can harbor a grudge against somebody else. But, you know, when you get to the point where you can forgive people and you can can absorb minor slights and, and injuries and without holding a grudge, when you stand praying, if you have ought against any, forgive that your Heavenly Father might forgive you. That is the absolute key to, to successful praying. And if you do not uh, share that, if you can't uh, forgive, you know, I've gotten to the point where I literally, I can't hold a grudge. I mean, I just can't do it. Sometimes I'd like to maybe, but I can't do it. I just can't do it. And uh, because I would much rather have God forgive me and give me an answer to my prayer and holding a grudge against somebody else who doesn't
1: care what I think one way or the other. Well, I I know throughout the years, knowing a little bit about you and being around, uh, you had some pretty vicious attacks against you in the press. Mm -hmm. Forgive the press, forgive the press. Um, And and all the other people that have come against you over the years, um, how did you come to that place where you can literally forgive people who had really done you in? Well, the Bible says, uh, vengeance is mine,
0: I will repay, saith the Lord. I want to tell you a story. It's kind of interesting. I've had some business relations, and in one, I made available a letter of credit. I endorsed a letter of credit to back up this particular um, business proposition, and um, when it was over... You know, the the deal was over, and we didn't need the letter of credit, but the man who got the letter of credit wouldn't let it go, and so the, the bank held it open. So it was too complicated to go into. But when it was all finished, I said, I don't owe any more money on this. I have, the reason for this letter of credit is over. I, I do not owe anything on this company, and it's over. But the bank decided they wanted to sue me, for the full letter of credit, the entire thing, and uh, so it was a big, big bank. Mm-hmm. They went after me, and I, I said, "Look, guys, I mean, I want to get this thing settled amicably. Let's put it aside." No, we're going to take it to court it. So anyhow, it was it was a hard thing, and the the, the lawyer said some unkind thing. Finally, I, I had to pay up. So that's what this big bank did to me. And I warned him, I said, you know, the Bible says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So I mean just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what the what the the treasury did to that bank? No. They hit him with a one billion dollar fine. Whoa. So the Lord will look after his people. We don't have to fight. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And you know, I will repay. And he when he does heaven help somebody who's going after his people so mm. i don't have to hurt somebody i don't have to fight somebody i'll I let the lord to take care of that and i my job is to get the gospel out and help people and loving your enemy <laughs> well you do you love your enemy and you leave him alone i mean but that but that, that's a, a faith killer you know when you have ought against any forgive that your heavenly mm. father may forgive you you want to be in that position of having your prayers answered I don't care who's done what, and I don't care how bad it's been, and I've had plenty of bad things done to me, the Lord will always vindicate his servants. How important is thanksgiving? Listen, I think, you know, praise for God, for who he is, and thanksgiving for what he's done. I I remember some years ago, my wife and I didn't have much money, and... uh, we were living in a, a house that was provided to us by a philanthropist. And it, this was kind of a wretched house. It had no central heat. And so in order to get warm in a cold winter, we had to go into the kitchen and uh, turn the stove on and sit around to get warm because there was no heat in the building. It was in an area where there were some really bad neighbors It was a miserable place to have my wife and children. And so I told my wife, I said, now, listen, dear, I know this is nice, but don't you ever complain. Don't you ever complain. Don't you ever complain. And we will praise God for what we've got. And when the time comes, he'll get us out of here. And so that was their attitude, and there was no complaining. And before long, I, I went to my philanthropist friend. I said, what do you think about my building a house? He said, I think it's a terrible idea. And he said, if God told you to do it, he's wrong. <laughs> I said, he did, yeah. He said, why should you build a house when I've got that beautiful place out in the country with nobody in it? And uh, you can have it if you want it. Wow. So I moved from this wretched place in the slum out to a uh, Beautiful, colonial with columns, um, oak trees, a thousand acres of land around it, uh, uh, magnificent, beautiful. And that's what the Lord had for us. But he said, Mm -hmm. don't complain.